Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy, and after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. We are continuing on in our series on daring leadership. We started this series a few weeks ago and we're walking through the research and wisdom shared by Brene Brown in her book, Dare to Lead, and talking about how we can transform first response and frontline workplace cultures and broken systems by being the change we wish to see. We're working at equipping ourselves with tools to really shape and influence the system from the inside out. I hope that by now you've found some other Rebel Alliance members to team up with within your own workplace setting to take this in together and find ways to personalize the tools to your specific workplace dynamics and challenges. There's strength in numbers, and it's good to have others to lean on who get what we're trying to do and why it matters so much to us. Why it matters so much to us is a big piece of what we're going to be talking about and focusing on today. If you remember, in her research, Brene Brown identifies four areas that define daring leadership. These include a willingness to rumble with vulnerability, living into our values, braving trust, and learning to rise. For the last two weeks, we focused on skills connected to rumbling with vulnerability and the associated skills for empathy. Today, we're diving into what it means to live into our values and how this shapes daring leadership and wholehearted cultures in workplace settings. If you've been a listener for a while, some of the pieces we talk about today may be a bit familiar, back from episode four, where we talked about the idea of anchoring to our values and why we got into the work to begin with. Knowing and remaining connected to the values that have driven us to be where we are can help us stay above water when things get tough. In Dare to Lead, Brene says this, In those moments when we start putting other voices in front of our own, we forget what made us go into the arena in the first place. The reason we're there. We forget our values, or frequently, we don't even know what they are or how to name them. If we do not have clarity of values, If we don't have anywhere else to look or focus, if we don't have that light up above to remind us why we're there, the cynics and the critics can bring us to our knees. More often than not, our values are what lead us to the arena door. We're willing to do something uncomfortable and daring because of our beliefs. And when we get in there and stumble or fall, we need our values to remind us why we went in especially when we are face down, covered in dust and sweat and blood. Here's the thing about values. 
While courage requires checking our armor and weapons at the arena door, we do not have to enter every tough conversation and difficult rumble completely empty-handed. The daring leaders we interviewed were never empty-handed in the arena. In addition to rumble skills and tools, they always carried with them clarity of values. This clarity is an essential support, a north star in times of darkness. End quote. Values tell us what matters to us, what's most important to us. Living into them is about aligning how we live, how we engage with the values we profess to have. Living into our values means being intentional about making choices that fit with my values. And doing this means being conscious of both my values and my way of engaging in my world and the ability to check in and review whether things are in alignment or going a bit askew. In her work, Brene breaks the concept of living into our values into three steps. These are pieces that we can and should work at right now to develop conscious awareness of what matters to us most, how it informs our work, and ways we either are or are not living into these so that we can work at being intentional and adjusting toward alignment. Step one, we can't live into values that we can't name. Okay, it is impossible to be aligned with something you don't know or can't name. We need to be able to take the time to make our values a conscious level thing, not just something we assume operates in the background. We also need to be able to call it something to be able to interact with it well. Language is important. Now, don't get caught in thinking of a thousand different values you hold. And don't get twisted up in working out which ones are personal and which ones are professional. At the end of the day, what you value at the very, very core will always transcend all aspects of who you are and will not be tied to one or the other, personal or professional. Your values are yours. They don't bend and twist with changing situations or environments. Our behaviors can, but then that's exactly what has us either living into or out of our values. In her book, Brene offers a list of values that her organization uses, and she suggests an activity to choose one or two of them, the ones that really are at the core and heart of who you are and what's important to you. I've included a link to the list in the show notes. It comes from her free resources and downloads on her website, daretolead.brenebrown.com. When you get a chance, I'd really encourage you to snag it from our show notes or from her website and work to narrow down your values to just one or two of the words listed here. Of this process, Brene says this, our values should be so crystallized in our mind so infallible, so precise and clear and unassailable that they don't feel like a choice. They are simply a definition of who we are in our lives. I did this exact exercise several years ago when I first walked through Dare to Lead and was working to beef up my leadership skills to ensure that the clinic I was building was built on a strong foundation that would prioritize a culture of care and connection. In reviewing the book every once in a while over the years since, and sitting with it again to pull this series together, it's always fun to come back to that list. I hilariously always come back to it wondering if I would choose different words now than I did several years ago. 
And each time I scan through the entire list and every single time, I feel so very content with the words that I feel I had felt at the time define me all those years ago because they're who I am. My two core values are community and understanding. Everything that I do involves these two pieces. In my work and in my life, I am tempted over and over again to shortcut things, make quick decisions, or skip over parts of the process to hurry things along. But when I lean into my values, I always come back to this place of, do I feel like I fully understand what's happening before I make the leap? Or have I taken sufficient time to hear and understand the voices of those involved to ensure this decision really works for those it will impact? The choices that transcend the space between personal and professional filter through this set of core values too. Ensuring I fully understand what I'm committing to and what it offers or takes away from my family if I say yes or no has become a pretty vital question as the organization I lead continues to grow, expand, and demand more. Wherever possible at our workplace, I'm looking for ways to bridge connection and community. Even when some of our clinicians work exclusively online rather than in the office and some live in distant communities, I feel a sense of purpose connected to these words, a purpose in cultivating community and supporting others and feeling understood. My joy is fueled by seeing people come together, care for one another, and feel seen, heard, known, and valued, which to me is really just at the core of feeling understood. And I anchor to these to keep me living into my values and standing in my integrity. Brene says, Quote, integrity is choosing courage over comfort. It's choosing what's right over what's fun, fast, or easy. And it's practicing your values, not just professing them. End quote. As you work through identifying your core values, be careful not to be lured towards words that you've been coached to be or to value. Go for the ones that really speak to you and about you as you truly are. Brene instructs that you can ask yourself these three questions to help guide the process. Number one, does this define me? Number two, is this who I am at my best? And number three, is this a filter that I use to make hard decisions? Don't feel like you have to scramble to write those down. You'll find them in the show notes. Okay, this carries us into step two, taking values from BS to behavior. This step is really all about how the rubber hits the road. And I think for many who work in first response and frontline work, this is also where they see the disconnect in their own organizations. When we talk about the idea of living into our values, it's not enough to identify some nice words and believe that we embody these. We have to actually show up and act from these places. We have to walk the talk and not just pay lip service to the lovely idea of values and then compromise them whenever it gets hard or uncomfortable. And when I say we, I do mean you and I and each of us as individual cogs within the system, but I also mean the overarching we, the capital W we, that represents our collective organizational level values and ways of engaging. I shared during the first episode of this series about my experience working in a government-funded organization that supports women facing domestic violence and abuse. On the surface, the values of the organization sounded good, 
We work to identify and name abuse in its various forms and empower women with understanding and supports to determine their own next steps. The program's focused on giving clear, evidence-based information, supporting connection and empowerment, growing grassroots change, and I loved every aspect of those pieces. Meanwhile, at an organizational level, the messages were different and, in actual fact, eerily reflective of the abuse issues we were mandated to help identify and solve. The values on paper were not what was reflected in action, and this dramatic dichotomy resulted in staff feeling confused, set up to fail, insecure and fearful, walking on eggshells, and ultimately in significant numbers of stress leaves and staff turnover and retention issues. Brene talks about the idea that we need to operationalize our values. We have to find ways to identify behaviors that act as indicators of whether I'm on track living into my values or not. And again, this can and needs to be both on an individual personal level as well as on an organizational level. Her suggestion is to ask three questions as it relates to each of our values. Remember, you're supposed to choose one or two from that list in an effort to get clear on how we put values meaningfully into action. Here are the questions. Number one, what are three behaviors that support your value? Number two, what are three slippery behaviors that are outside of your value? What that means is what, get, what kind of things tempt or get you sucked out of behaviors that align with your values. And number three, what's an example of a time when you were fully living into this value? Using these questions to gain clarity on values in action is going to be key in helping you to choose to engage from your values, even when it's tough and uncomfortable, because often these are the moments we need them the most. Step three, Empathy and self-compassion, the two most important seats in the arena. Okay, when we're talking about the idea of being in the arena, being willing to get into the ring and get busted up in an effort to really be there, being our fullest, truest selves and not shying away from the hard stuff, we need to recognize that some stuff's going to get stirred up. We are going to have to confront things that we have potentially avoided or deferred or been totally oblivious to, especially when we are working to be in the arena within systems where we're alongside others with their own versions of being in the arena. Part of the work of being in the arena is recognizing that not everyone's arena experience is exactly the same. While we all face pressures, pushback, and obstacles in the ring, for some the stakes will be higher or the fight will be rigged against them. As a culture, in this specific moment in history, we are simultaneously confronting a zillion different issues that highlight this. And at the heart of many of these conversations is a concept called privilege. Whether the topic is race, gender, sexual orientation, economic status, religion, some of us are in positions where we will personally confront more of these in our own personal arena, and some of us will encounter them less. Meanwhile, as daring leaders, we need to be prepared to listen and use our empathy skills that we talked about last episode to navigate understanding the lived experience of those we're leading. We need to be able to remain open and curious, to be listeners rather than knowers, 
to support people and their potential from a frame of reference that acknowledges the ways in which their arena experience may be substantially different from our own in ways that we may have difficulty fully wrapping our heads around due to our own limited experiences. Cultivating workplace cultures and systems level safety that seeks to courageously support the potential of all participants within the system involves tremendous focus on empathy and self-compassion. Empathy to be a non-judgmental listener rather than a knower towards others, as well as a receiver of empathy from a few key people who see your efforts to live into your values and support you in that. And self-compassion to cheer ourselves on even as we fudge it up sometimes. Because we will. When you're in the ring long enough, you won't be able to sustain going through all the rounds without getting knocked out once in a while. If you aren't getting a bit beat up, that may be an indicator you're not doing it right and may be compromising living into your values to stay out of the heat. Now, one of the areas, both as leaders and those under leadership that can be difficult to stay in our values is when we're giving or receiving feedback. I think we have likely all experienced times where we've witnessed feedback gone awry or where we've compromised our values when dealing with feedback. I appreciate that this is an area Brene focuses on, given that it shows up so much within workplaces. And I think it's really valuable for those who are currently in leadership roles to review what she has to say on the topic of living into your values when delivering or receiving feedback. We don't have time today to cover this piece, but I do plan to circle back to it in another episode because her research outlines some really specific and practical questions to evaluate readiness to offer feedback as well as receive feedback in a way that's aligned with wholeheartedness, and it's super good. If you don't want to wait until I circle back to it, because I'm not totally sure when I'll get to that one, I do encourage you to grab the book and take a look for yourself. There is one other piece that Brene talks about around living into our values, and it really speaks to our core assumptions about others. Within organizations, she identifies that a common value identified on paper is something called an assumption of positive intent. What this means is that organizations pay lip service to the value that they believe that people are doing the best they can with what they have and works to see the best in people. Meanwhile, hearkening back to the idea of operationalizing and having our actions match what we say on paper, this can be tricky to actually put behavior language to. Brene says this, the people who are the most generous in their assumptions of others have the clearest boundaries the most compassionate and generous people I've interviewed in my career are the most boundaried. It turns out that we assume the worst about people's intentions when they're not respectful of our boundaries. End quote. When we say we want to live into our values in an effort to be daring leaders who are working to stand in courage and cultivate the potential of others, we're saying that we identify value in people. If we identify value in people, we have to assume that people are giving the best they can with what they've got. Now, extending an assumption of positive intent is not carte blanche. It doesn't mean that we let people bulldoze us or we placate or we ignore shortcomings or poor work-related outcomes. It means that we're responsible for standing in clear boundaries, outlining our values and our limitations to facilitate the ability for others to see understand, and work with us from that boundary place. It's like we've circled back a bit to the episode where we talked about the idea that clear is kind. 
In her book, she shares a story. I'm going to read you this bit because I think it's really helpful as an illustration of what this looks like. In this excerpt, she's talking about an exercise with leaders where they talk about the concept and applications of assuming positive intent. And in this scenario, she's speaking with a group from West Point, which, for those who don't know, is the oldest of the United States military academies. She shares this. One of the most profound responses to this exercise came out of a focus group I did with a group of leaders at West Point. One officer pushed me a little on the accuracy of the intel and kept asking, you are 100% certain that this person is doing the best he can. After I answered yes two or three times, the officer took a deep breath and said, then move the rock. I was confused. What do you mean by move the rock? He shook his head. I have to stop kicking the rock. I need to move it. It's hurting both of us. He's not the right person for this position, and there's no amount of pushing or getting on him that's going to change that. He needs to be reassigned to a position where he can make a contribution. She goes on to say, Assuming positive intent does not mean that we stop helping people set goals or that we stop expecting people to grow and change. It's a commitment to stop respecting and evaluating people based solely on what we think they should accomplish and start respecting them for who they are and holding them accountable for what they're actually doing. And when we're overwhelmed and struggling, it also means turning those positive assumptions toward ourselves. I'm doing the very best I can right now end quote. If you're hearing this idea of assuming positive intent and you find yourself struggling with a reaction in you that says, hell to the no, there is no way that so-and-so is giving their best, I have some news for you. The research clearly suggests that those who find it easy to operate from an assumption of positive intent are consistently also those who were categorized as practicing wholeheartedness. Those who struggle more with assuming positive intent in others are often those who struggle with their own perfectionism, lack self-compassion, and have difficulty with empathy. If this is an area where you're feeling tripped up, it might be shining a light on some bigger issues, and I'd encourage you to use some of Brene's other work to look a bit more closely at these pieces in yourself, their impact on your life, and the reflection of these pieces in your leadership. I'm not sure if you know, but every single episode, we post links to additional resources, and during this series, this includes much of Brene's work, as well as downloadable resources in a weekly episode challenge, where we challenge you to think about and apply what we've talked about that week. As you work to grow into the areas we're talking about around leadership and the other topics we cover throughout this podcast, be sure to take a look at the show notes that can be found on our website to deepen your learning and personalize the topics. My assumption of positive intent is that you are here because you are committed to making a difference for yourself, for others, and for the system and world at large. I know this about you because I'm right in there with you. Thanks for choosing to spend some of your time here with me, learning and growing our skills together. I truly believe we can make a difference, and I'm grateful for your bravery in showing up and venturing into the arena with me. We're going to continue breaking down daring leadership next time, so I'll see you back here soon. As always, please rate, comment, and share the podcast with those in your life who you think would benefit. We're grateful to those who have been encouraging their workplaces to promote the podcast through their staff newsletters, to their employee assistance services, and to their union groups. The further we spread these messages, the faster we can revolutionize the systems we're in, and the more we can do it together. Stay in the ring. Keep showing up. And until next time, stay safe.